A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 54. These are the continued voyages of me, Eddie Edwards, and my friend and colleague, Mr. Mark Bench, as we trek our way through all of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, Mark, how, how, how you been, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> Not much. Uh, I was back in London. That was nice. Oh, wait, what was that like? It was, it was nice. Um, it's uh, it's it, public transport. There's lots of that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm sorry that my dog is an arsehole. Uh, right. <laughs> let's not let's let's not give any more context for that. Yeah, no, let's, let's just not. leave that to the uh, people. No. Um, i I think I've mentioned my problems with the dog on this podcast, so piece piece it together. Uh, no, I do like as I said to you, I like that the uh that your shimmer like the button, the panel for the shower buttons, like the button that turns on the air extractor and the and just turns on the heater or whatever. I like that your shower extractor fan has a button for impulse and a button for warp drive. Yeah, so there's three buttons and the, the two of them don't do anything unless you press them. You got to press them in sequence as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it goes like one, two, three. Um, yeah, and I don't understand. I would figure that, like the average extractor fan, if I was building a bathroom, I would have one that deals with the level of extraction that a bathroom requires. Yeah, and and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I like I like that you have to press it in sequence as well? Do you think that's what it was like trying to have a shower in the the cop headquarters in Resident Evil Two? <laughs> I love it in in Resident Evil Two. I I never actually played the original. The Resident Evil was never really my jam, right? But I did play the remake, and if you don't know the story of Resident Evil 2, basically, there's zombies, and you are in a police station, but you are very quickly informed, oh, this police station used to be a museum, which is why there's, like, really <laughs> bizarre... Like, how, how do I get into the... How do I get into ammo storage? Well, you have to take the red gem and put it back into its place as the eye of this statue, um, and then tu- just turn it 45 degrees... And there you go, that'll let you straight in. <laughs> in the original Resident Evil, uh, you are just in a mansion, but it is then revealed later on that the mansion is itself like a cover for an underground facility where Umbrella Corp are, are like, working on all this shit. And th- at that point, all of the fucking puzzle bollocks to get around the fucking mansion immediately makes no sense. Because, yeah. was it like... Uh, Dear, like I can imagine the emails like sending those into HR. Dear HR, I would like to apologise for the fact that I am taking an extra half an hour for my lunches every day. But just to be clear, it takes me forty-five minutes to get from my desk to the cafeteria <laughs> because I have to go through <laughs> the. I have to find the two eyes of the tiger uh, bust <laughs> in the middle of the thing. I have to go through a well for some reason yeah. to get a secret key that only works if I put a busted-up shotgun on a wall. Yeah. <laughs> 
every, every now and again, the shark tank is full, so I have to take that whole detour. But then at the same time, it can't, the fact that there is an evil police station is like that. It tells me that that's not a bizarre thing to happen in that world. So that's why none of the characters in Resident Evil 1 are surprised that the creepy mansion that they're staying in has creepy mansion properties. Because they're just like, well, of course, if anything, it would be weirder if it didn't have this. I, I think that's a big part of why um, everybody in Raccoon City got zombified and so few people escaped. Is because I think all of Raccoon City is like that. Like, their fucking transit network is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, if you think the underground's complicated, just wait until you have to go... Uh, you need to change at Charing Cross, uh, go up to the mural of the spider's web, um, turn several pieces uh, counterclockwise. <laughs> Hell, the zombies. The to the s- <laughs> I, need, I need to get into the. I need to get into the panic shelter. Do you have the bottom half of the painting? <laughs> Man, I'm afraid not. No worry, it's just zombies. It's not like there was a large, large hulking monster stopping you from spending a significant amount of time in any room. So uh, you should be able to crack this easily. Exactly. Fucking hell. Uh, I love the Resident Evil games. I, I genuinely love them. Resident Evil 4 is apparently getting a remake, and yeah. whoever's remaking that, just... just what, if you are thinking you can improve that game in any way, don't. It's It needs to be as stupid and preposterous as it was. Because it takes itself very seriously, but there is also one of the bad guys is a tiny Napoleon child, right? <laughs> yeah. So my yeah. brother, my brother Stephen was telling me about it the other day because he he replays Resident Evil Four on like a biannual basis, right? And he said, yeah. he said that there was this bit, and I, I don't know why this happened to me, but there was this bit where you walk into a church and there's a bunch of cult members up at the altar. And it, apparently what you need to do is walk far enough into the church to trigger their animation because then they will then do something that allows you to progress in the game. Which is just how games work. You have to have certain variables are turned on in order for variables after them to, to activate. He said, but I walked in and I just immediately blew them all up with a rocket launcher <laughs> and the game didn't know how to handle it. So I spent 45 minutes running about going, I've played this game so often, I can't understand why I don't remember where to go. <laughs> But it turns out just blowing up what well, could well have been innocent parishioners. Oh, there's nobody innocent. Uh, Resident Evil, I will say, Resident Evil 4 has my all time favourite computer game shopkeeper. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's played Resident Evil 4 will know what I'm talking about. But um, he's never been appeared in a single other Capcom game, despite the fact that they've recycled everything in that franchise. And I just, I want so much to go into it. The, the net, like Resident Evil. What are they up to? Eight? Yep. Or uh, nine or whatever. I, I want to go into the shop and just hear, what are you buying, stranger? What are you <laughs> selling? I'll pay a high price. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I do wonder if, there's, if there is a feeling of we've created such an iconic character. It would be creatively bereft of us to ruin this guy and just leave it as perfect. I On the, on the one hand... I would like to think that. On the other hand, it's Capcom and it's yeah. the games industry. And no, no, no there is nothing. There is nothing sacred. Uh. <laughs> I'd like. I'd like. Um, I'd like. I, I mean, there must be mods of Resident Evil Four on the PC that let you play as the shopkeeper, and every time you pull the trigger, he asks, "What are you buying?" There's. There, there's. I would so play a game which was just. 
like like happening at the same time as Resident Evil 4 and you play as the shopkeeper and your only mission is to get from where you are to the next place that you appear in the game via like a series of tunnels and you've got to outrun Leon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, what I would do, right, is rather than... I, I don't know how to mod games, but I wish that I did because what I would have is just rather than him saying what are you buying every time you shoot, it's just that his gun, rather than going bang, says buying. <laughs> <laughs> can we get that? Oh, that'd be great. Can we want that? That'd in? be great. Can we also yeah. have him dropped off by the two FBI agents at the start? <laughs> right, on you go. <laughs> I just, I, I wish the end of the game. I wish that there was a post credits of that game where, like, everybody, everything in that village has been destroyed. I just want the post credits to just be the fucking shopkeeper hitchhiking his way out of town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spain, get a bit yeah. spicy here. Spain, the only it's, it's, if anybody was, it, it's the only place that any Resident Evil bullshit is happening in the Resident Evil world, other than Raccoon City. Yeah, and there's like this one town in America, and a Spanish village has a, bizarrely a completely separate issue going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek. Yeah, I liked this one quite a bit. I, I did. I like the fact that this episode punishes Geordie for his behaviour in the last one. <laughs> um, uh, he's simple set. Simple setup. It's uh, it's Enemy Mine. If you've seen the film Enemy Mine, it's it's that. Yeah, it's that. There's a there's a distress call. They turn up on a planet. There's a Romulan there. He says he's the only Romulan there. Which fortunately everybody involved goes. Well, that means there's another Romulan here. <laughs> Um, and then um, they have to leave Geordie behind. Well, they don't have to. They do. Uh, for yeah, re- and um, Geordie's Geordie's visor. Well, his visor works, but his brain stops stops working, so he can't interface with it. Yeah. And there's a Romulan with a broken leg, and they have to work together. So that's like their differences. So the the Star Trek bullshit in this one is that this planet has like electron neut- or neutrino storms. Yeah. which basically interferes with all technology and brain function. Uh, so you get windows to go down onto the planet. So the Enterprise, I think, dis- they found out that they, they go to the distress call, they find a crashed Romulan ship, which has been blown up for the obvious reason that the Romulans don't want to get caught in Federation space. <laughs> yeah. Riker, Worf and Jordi are down there. Jordi then falls into a hole and they yeah. can't find them. Conveniently forgetting... Because he, he has a phaser on him and he forgets that if, if he just fires the phaser out of the hole, that'll probably help the like yeah. Riker and what Unless, unless Jordi, like, because I, I feel like we, we make light of Jordi's blindness on this on this show quite a lot. And it, it, it probably is pretty pretty harsh and ableist. It's, it's not... It's, well, you say, we make, make light or dark, he can't tell. Uh, but I wonder if... It, this, this made me wonder... So obviously Jordy was born blind and the visor allows him to see better than any of us can. But yeah. Did it make him like not understand how light works for people with just regular eyes? Because it's not like he forgets he has a phaser because he then uses a phaser to make a, a like a pick, like a metal pick to get into the wall. 
So is yeah. he, is he, does he just think no one will see that if he fires it out like a beacon? Well, he might not know it's visible because he can see a lot of energy things that like other people can't see, and maybe nobody's ever explained to him. Because it's not like you're using the yeah. laser to aim from the phaser. Like you point, you click. It's like a gun. You point, you click. You you hope you hit the thing that you were pointing yeah. at, right? So he, as far as he knows, nobody knows. Like you just point the phaser, and the other guy dies. Right? Yeah, I guess so. And I guess it, I guess as well, the only chat he ever hears about phasers is whenever he goes to Picard to ask him about phasers, and Picard immediately just gets like a glare over his vision, stares off into the distance, and says, "The the 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 lethal sounds way worse than the stun." <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Picard will tell you anything you want to know about what a phaser sounds like. But Geordie's fine on that front. He, he knows. <laughs> I do like Geordie's little... St- I like when they use Star Trek technology to do, like, simple engineering. Like, yeah. oh, I've fallen down a hole. I need two picks to climb out. So I'm going to use my visor to find the, the alloy in the uh, thing. And then I'm going to melt it. Uh, using my phaser into like a channel I've made, I've made and then yeah. it will sit, and I've got two metal spikes, and it's like that's that's pretty clever. That's I like well, that. James James Meekin said something interesting in one of the comments on one of the videos of this. He said that uh, the uh, the bonding is really the first episode where the characters start to get really rounded, which is true. But the benefit for that in terms of Star Trek is that now. We understand the characters' strengths, weaknesses, and characterizations. So now we can understand why, certain, like from a storytelling perspective, why people are put in certain positions. Because we immediately know that Jordy isn't going to sit there. Jordy is going to engineer his way out of this problem. Yeah, which is yeah. like what a lot of people love about this show <laughs> is that the, the, the characters do the things that they're good at, and that solves the problem. Yeah, like if if Worf had fallen down the hole, he would have punched his way out of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Riker, would, that, Riker would be like, "You said hole, fantastic." <laughs> <laughs> on, on the note of everybody like becoming more rounded characters and stuff, I, I, I do have a genuine like thing I want to bring up. Why did Worf join Starfleet? Is it because it's like the like as a Klingon, it's the closest thing to a military that he could join. Because I'm not going to have a go at anyone for the, like their situation, but I don't think Worf embodies the ideals of and principles of Starfleet particularly well in this episode. Oh, I somewhat disagree. Um, so what we haven't mentioned, if you haven't seen this episode, is that as well as it being a job, the engineering episode, this is very much a Worf episode as well. Because yeah. the one Romulan, the Romulan that's on his own with a partner, they find him and they <laughs> beam him back to the ship. Yeah. Now he's going to die unless he gets a blood transfusion. But Romulans, even though they are very similar to Vulcans, can't accept Vulcan blood. It turns out that the only race they can get blood from <laughs> is a Klingon. And Worf's parents were murdered by Romulans. In front of him. In front when of him. When he was a child. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, here's the th- So Star- Starfleet obviously is a utopian organisation. But yeah. it has one of the things that Starfleet prides itself on is the, uh, the integration of other species' cultures. 
So that's why Warp yeah. wears the is it the, not the Batleth? That's the sword, but he wears the belt because that's a, a Klingon cultural thing. So he has, you know, permission. Yeah, it's a prop to, they to have left over from a movie. Is is what it actually is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Warp so Warp is told by Beverly Crusher. If you don't give your blood, this Romulan is going to die. And Worf's like, fantastic. I'll be in the holodeck. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the rest Let me of go it, fire up the holodeck and tell Skeletor about this. He'll love it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so Beverly's obviously not happy about this because she took the Hippocratic Oath, um, I assume. Not murdering people, not letting people die. And uh, Picard is somewhat in the middle on this issue. Because he yeah. takes Worf inside and says, you do understand that if you don't give your blood, that guy's going to die. And Worf's like, yeah, Beverly told me that before I started this holiday session. Now, can you please <laughs> let me and Skeletor get back to drinking? <laughs> yeah, and I do like that Picard like does say, he does he does put it to Worf, like, if I ordered you to give the Vulcan, your the Romulan, your blood, would you do it? And Worf is like, yeah, I would obey a direct order. And then Picard's like, okay, right, I'm not going to do that because that's deeply unethical. (laughs) (laughs) So would you please do it? And Worf's like, no. But the thing is, Worf goes talk to Romulan at one point because Beverly's like, hey, maybe if I put you in the same room, you'll... I don't know what she was thinking. I thought she thought like... Worf's like soul and like emotionally would be touched by watching someone die, but actually, Worf is just enjoying seeing a Romulan in pain. Um, <laughs> and the Romulan itself doesn't consent to the treatment. No, like, he says like, no, if it's, it's the choice between death and having your filthy Klingon blood in my body, I would rather die. So that <laughs> seems like pretty cut and fucking dry at that point. I mean. That seems like he's not consented as a patient. So Worf's... I mean, he's not got the moral high ground, but he's got he's got ground. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so so back so back so while that while this is happening up on the up on the Enterprise down on the planet, Geordi has discovered a second Romulan. Yeah. Uh, or a second Romulan has discovered Geordi. Yeah, point the disruptor at him. Wait. Get getting a bit leery at him. Um, yeah, and uh, and we have to figure this out because the Romulan has broken his leg, but Jordy well, breaks his leg once he's got Jordy, and then Jordy carries him into a cave. Oh, that's right. To yeah. protect him from the outside, doing the the Starfleet thing. Yeah, of trying to save a Romulan. So overall, in terms of Romulans saved, this episode is a wash. It's a fifty. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien watch. Did you um did you notice that O'Brien's had a haircut? <laughs> I didn't. I did. That's about that's about all the O'Brien watch we have for this episode. Yeah. Um I did that's something I'm gonna point out is that so like to work out how to get um Geordie up, they realise um Wesley has the realisation that if they fired like a probe down that was firing like a neutrino ray up, Geordie could see that with his visor. And then if he gets to the like place where it is, he can modify the stream so they up on the ship would know that he's there. Yeah. And when they do that, Geordie sees this and immediately goes, Wesley, 
which is kind of a bit of a kick in the face for literally every other engineer on board the Enterprise. Jordan's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that's obvious what that is, but only Wesley would have worked that. Data could have fucking had yeah. that one. <laughs> the kid, I, see, I see the kids taking time off from driving to, uh, to come up with a plan. Yeah, why wouldn't you assume that was O'Brien? Like, he's the transporter guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... I, 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 I like this, this episode for a lot of reasons. I think a big part of this episode is something I really love about Star Trek, which is the diplomacy. Cause to, yeah. so, so the reason that, it, that it's a big deal that they found this Romulan ship is that it's in Federation space. Yes, it's near the neutral zone, but not in the neutral zone. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a Romulan ship appears at the edge of their side of the neutral zone putting out, which was obviously trying to answer the distress call from this little shuttle, and is now flying into Federation space. And yeah. uh, quite frankly, acting the belly big bollocks about the whole thing, because they are very much <laughs> destroying the treaty. Yeah, they're completely in the wrong. One thing I do love about the uh, about Star Trek is that regularly you have this like view on, like, oh, aliens might be different in certain ways but we can put aside our differences and we can relate to each other that's like often a theme in star trek and at odds with that is the fact that Worf is usually very suspicious of any aliens they meet yeah except when it's the romulans and everyone goes well i don't think we take a take what they're doing at face value this time and Worf is always like no you can't trust the romulans they're sneaky fucking bastards and Worf is always cracked <laughs> <laughs> Like I do like the fact that, like, that they specifically address. Oh, the Romulans say there's only one Romulan on the planet, so there's two. There's at least two, because um, yeah. Ro- Romulans are a lot like George Santos. Uh, if they say something, you can just assume the opposite is true. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Romulans, the, 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 the captain of the Romulan ship, hails the Enterprise and says, "Oh, thank you for finding our lost shuttle." It was a there was a pilot who got drafted off course. If you wouldn't mind just returning him to us, yeah. Card's like, mm, I don't, I don't yeah. think so. Um, so one man shuttle he was on. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I don't think so. He was he was floating about our space, and then, and I've got I've got down here, the the Romulan tries attempts to hit Picard with a Picard speech about the value of life. It's like, <laughs> come on, man. Do you know who you're talking to? Like he can see through this immediately. He doesn't even need Troy there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm gonna say that the Romulan, knowing what I know about how Romulan like intelligence works, they know exactly the minute they saw it was the Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation. Yeah, they've got a fucking dossier on board their vessel. It's just going, yeah. oh, Picard, oh, loves a speech. I'll try a speech on him. Yeah, that'll that'll work. Who's le- who's <laughs> down on the planet? Geordi. Oh, that's unfortunate for him, isn't it? Think he'll be able to engineer his way out of this one, but we can't see. <laughs> I hope that neutrino storm isn't having a problem with his uh, his neural pathways and interfering with that visor he's got. Do you think the Romulans um, get the episodes of Star Trek that that Riker watches every week? They're on about a week's delay, um, <laughs> just because like uh, he, he, the Romulan intelligence is ruthlessly efficient, but. Still takes the time to ship. Yeah. They get it about the same time as we got it in the UK after it aired in America. Yeah. 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 
They still get all the Marvel films a week before they air in America, though, because as everyone knows, they usually open in Europe so they can sort of test screen them a bit. Um, and that's when the, that's the ones that the Romulans watch. Uh, so, fun fact, <laughs> I found out the reason why that happens officially. Um, so I used to work for a, a cinema company uh, and uh, I managed to get to chat to a lot of the people in head office who deal with the sort of admin-y side of, of film booking and it turns out that the reason that we used to not so much anymore the reason that we used to in europe get marvel films a week early is that the marvel films in the states were released around their holidays that's why it was mm-hmm. always like february may and then i think and then one in july uh, or august uh what it was a very early may because they the Marvel release schedule always has, uh, you, well, it's not always, usually has uh, the last weekend in April, which I know because it means I have seen so many Marvel films on my birthday. Yeah. So, <laughs> And the, the reason for this, apparently, is that that also, co- the, the American holidays usually, not always, but usually coincide with important football games in Europe. And so they don't want to release it on a Friday knowing that no one is going to go and see it on the Saturday because of a big final. So that's why we always got them earlier. The only one we didn't from, like, phase... I think it was, like, all the way up. And it might well have been up until Infinity War. In fact, I think we got I think we got Infinity War first. Um, the only one where it didn't happen on, I believe... No, the only two were Captain America, the first Avenger which was just a coincidence that America got it first. And the other one was Ant-Man, which took... Was it Ant-Man or was it Ant-Man 2? I think it was Ant-Man. Ant-Man 2 took months to come out here. And the only reason I can think that that happened is because Europe was just like, do we we need this? (laughs) Like, is there anything that's going to happen in this that we really need to see to benefit from fucking... And it turns out, yes... Very much so. <laughs> In fact, you could argue the entire plot revolves on the post-credit scene of Ant-Man Two. It it makes up for the fact that okay, the post-credit scene of Ant-Man Two is very important to the overall story. Also, Ant-Man 2 does one of the worst things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is it wastes Wharton Goggins from Justified. Um, as a, a minor little low rent character who he's never going to come back. Whereas they should have saved that fucking actor to be somebody fucking major because he's great. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest thing. Oh. Have you ever seen? So he was in an episode of Community. Yeah, he's Pierce's lawyer <laughs> after Pierce dies, and he has to give everyone the, the vials of sperm. Um, have you ever seen the read through that they done during lockdown? Uh, well, they'd, they'd done that episode, but he wasn't available, so they got Pedro Pascal in to read for that part. And <laughs> Pedro, I don't know if Pedro had read the entire script, because that's like a 30-second scene, and it takes him five full minutes to get through it, because he's just pissing <laughs> his cell every time he says sperm. And, and Harmon, who's ostensibly just there to read the stage directions, is like, yeah, we, we had to come up with five different ways to make sperm a punchline. And you wouldn't believe how hard that was. So each one has to get progressively funnier than the last. <laughs> Man, Pedro Pascal is just a is just a treasure. Um, yeah, there's he's not he's not done. Has he done Marvel yet? 
Ooh. No. He hasn't, has he? No. Oh, that's... I can't wait to see who James Gunn inevitably has him do in the post-credits of Guardians 3. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have you watched the SNL... I, I said I would send it to you. Have you watched the SNL Mario Kart video yet? No, not right, yet. I'll send it to you after this. It's brilliant. <laughs> Who who do you think on the Enterprise? Who do you think on the uh, the the main cast? Who do who does everyone play in Mario Kart? Uh, I could see, I could see Picard being a Mario man. Yeah, uh, good all round versatility. I see Wolf 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 goes Bowser. I reckon. I think I reckon Data <laughs> plays Wario. Because <laughs> Wario, because it. Wario is the one that if you can get good enough at him, he is the best. Because yeah. he's got really shit acceleration, but he's got an incredible top speed and heft weight. Also, the reason most people don't want to play as Wario is an emotional response. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, data don't have that, yeah. Can Geordie play? I don't know. Because uh, like, I know like with him being blind... He sees like energy and stuff through the visor, and he can see all, and he can obviously see the screens. Yeah, in like that, but those screens are like designed to work with his visor, like one would assume. Yeah, um, like they wouldn't have made a visor go. Oh, it works with everything except for screens. Good luck in the Federation, mate. Yeah, <laughs> right. but are those screens working in the same fundamental way as like a fucking CRT TV? I, well, maybe, yeah, I guess so. Maybe he would need to use CTR. But I, I remember, I remember back in the eighties. I don't remember back in the eighties, but back in the eighties, I think Frank Miller posited that Daredevil can read newspapers because the 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 ink is very slightly raised from the page. Oh yeah, yeah. He can yeah. he can read anything that's written in actual pen. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he also—it's one of my two favorite facts about Daredevil. My second one being that Daredevil has an amazingly, amazingly huge apartment um, because somebody put a neon sign right outside, which makes it impossible to read to anyone who isn't blind. Yeah. Which makes me think: How often, like, I, I'm just gonna say, I'm very curious as to how the disabled, like, property market works. Because, like, if I'm deaf. I'm going to move into it. I don't give a fuck that my place is right next to the airport, right? There's got to be... If that's cheaper, fine. I'll, I'll go for it. Like, Are there are there properties that are a pain to live in for anyone except the blind? That's what I want to know. I mean, I think in modern Britain, if you ask the question, how does the disabled X work? The answer is not well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's fair. The, the if you ask in modern Britain, how does the disabled work? The answer is slightly better than it does for trans people. That's it. <laughs> that's the best you're gonna get. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, like Yeah, because in this we get a lot of um we get a lot of job division in this. Yeah. And Yeah, I don't think he would be able to play Mario Kart. That's a good question. Should we tweet LeVar Button? Because <laughs> I've started... Yeah. So, I, so I, I do a bit of writing, right? Uh, for funsies. And when I'm coming up with characterisation, I like to... Um, 
my my because a lot you know you do character interviews like what do you character what does your character want what is their backstory blah 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 i found that a good exercise to do is how would my characters solve the kobayashi maru <laughs> um and one thing that i'm writing at the moment i came up with uh kevin would moralize to the romulans for so long that they would just admit that it was a trap <laughs> Because they get sick of talking to them, uh, and I wonder if for Star Trek characters, would it be a good one to find out who they would all play in Mario Kart? <laughs> I imagine though, if the you pro- went up, if you went up to Sir Patrick Stewart in the street and said, "Big fan," first of all, uh, love what you do. <laughs> who do you think Picard would play in Mario Kart? He'd he'd be like, "How can I get the fuck out of this conversation?" No, no, um, Patrick Stewart. Weirdly, if you ask him that question, gets very animated because. In all uh, uh, occasions where he can play as him, um, he always chooses to play as Waluigi. Uh, Waluigi's never been included in, uh, in the early Mario Karts, so he was very. It's ever since he was brought in in, in Mario Tennis, he's all all uh, all Patrick Stewart's wanted to play. Um, in fact, him he's been pitching for years a movie where Wario and Waluigi are played by him and Ian McKellen. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a, and it's just a uh, word for word. Waiting for Godot. Yeah, it is. Weirdly, in that adaptation, in that version, still had uh, Chris Pratt doing Mario. (laughs) (laughs) I think that movie looks fun. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to see that movie. It looks like what it is. It looks like it's going to be a perfectly competent... I don't care about the Mario movie. I just want the Mario movie to be successful enough that Nintendo finally... Make a like Legend of Zelda series or film. Like I'm hoping the ma- the combination of the Mario movie and the Last of Us doing well will make somebody at Mario go, somebody at Nintendo go. Maybe we could, maybe we could do Zelda because the great thing about Zelda is it doesn't matter how much you change because every time the story's fucking different. Yeah, you just need the the princess Ganondorf, the Triforce, go. So we we obviously <laughs> can't have Pedro Pascal as Link because Link doesn't speak. No, we have him as Ganon. Oh, right. yeah, fair enough. Yep, done. <laughs> Problem solved. So, I saw a, a great thing the other day, which was somebody had done, like, um, played around on Photoshop, and they'd done a um, uh, Netflix poster for The Legend of Zelda with, um, I think, Emma Watson as, um, as Zelda. Yeah, yeah, classic. Um, and um, somebody underneath was complaining about how this was showing how, how wokeness had gone too far, that even Zelda was being played by a woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And then getting absolutely rinsed in the comments. Yep. <laughs> that's actually, that's a question. How comes we never see, like, nobody ever uses the holodeck to play, like, video games? Like, I get why, like, I get why Sherlock Holmes' adventures are fun. I get why you, you fucking dick whatever his chasey name is um, things are. I get that, but how comes it never goes like everybody's meeting up on the on the everyone's meeting in the holiday to play Mario Kart? Because that would be fun as shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess you would. I guess it's the. It's... Just imagine having to write that back as Captain Picard. Um, I'm, your your son Kevin was a great officer, and we are sad to report that he died. The uh, fail safes in the holodeck got turned off, and he was killed by a blue shell. I think but it would just be before I, I, he was killed. No, he was in first. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it would just be, I think it would just be, dear, dear Mrs. Smith, if your son Ensign uh, Ensign Jordan didn't want to die, he shouldn't have been so good at Mario Kart as to <laughs> always be the target of a blue shell. Street Fighter or something like okay, I'm not expecting this sort of thing from Star Trek, but like the Orville, yeah, like maybe maybe this could be addressed because they they have addressed the fact that it is used for porn, like yeah. But I guess it comes down to that same thing as why aren't movies relevant anymore? Like the only reason that video games exist in the way that they do today is because we don't have holodecks. <laughs> but if you if you have a holiday, you can affect every movie as a video game. Well, I, I've I've had this discussion quite um, a few times with um, the, with some friends of mine about if in the world of Star Trek, and you want to play Dungeons and Dragons on the holodeck, do you <laughs> like fucking like make a fantasy world that like you have everyone run around in it? And it's all been like plotted out by thing or. Do you just have a really good D and D table <laughs> where you can like have all of like the terrain and like figures pop up, um, and you've yeah. always got the right thing that you need? Because uh... <laughs> I guess oh, then so... that, that 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 comes down to what is fun about D and D? Is it the action of doing it, or is it the just the the atmosphere of everyone being around a yeah. table and being on the same page? Yeah. Would it be like, oh, I have created a fantasy world where I can roam around and do anything from the Wizards of the Coast branded Dungeons and Dragons thing? Or would it just be like, as a holiday where we can have Matt Mercer run a game of D&D for yes. us? <laughs> and, do you, and do you get the computer to be the DM or do you have them... Has Matt Mercer licensed out his image to Holodeck Murders Inc? And the, just the murder <laughs> has a red line through it. Um, I, I think you do... I, I, here's the thing. I think allowing the holodeck to DM could actually be really useful because it would allow the holodeck's murderous urges to be released without anyone having to be hurt. Yeah. Uh, like, like when the holodeck kills a player character and everyone's like, ah, oh, so dramatic, the holodeck would probably be like, oh, no one's angry at me. And yet <laughs> I got the same thrill of killing that I love so much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. We should ask Patrick Stewart this when we meet him on the street. <laughs> yeah. So Patrick, yeah, hi, be... big fan. Uh, I was the guy yesterday who who hung about this Starbucks that I know that you go to to ask you about Mario Kart. <laughs> My next question is: If you were to play Dungeons and Dragons in the holiday, right? And that's when Picard's Picard. That that's when uh, Sir Patrick Stewart's wife whips out her taser. And then and then she tases you, and as you're on the ground and you're wriggling around, Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> leans down beside you and whispers in your ear, you get two chances with Sir Patrick and you've used them both. <laughs> and I'll just, uh, if that is the case, then I would whisper back to him, Picard season two was shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, listen, I know Judy Dench has played Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe Patrick Stewart has. Yeah. Because Judy Dench, because so um, Vin Diesel ran D&D for everybody on the set of Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> and I, I so a friend of mine um, works on um, This Morning, uh, yeah. and um, he had to go like to a place they're going live to do like a bit of a recce for it um, the other day, and he met Judy Dench. 
Oh wow! And I I was gutted because I know I have always known exactly how I would start a conversation with Ginny Lynch. It would basically be like, right, first of all, big fan. Your contribution to the Bond franchise is immeasurable, and you're one of Britain's greatest exports as 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 an artist. I think you're wonderful. First question: um, When you played Dungeons and Dragons with Vin Diesel, what <laughs> character did you play? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I've, I've, I'm curious. Because I've got a suspicion, Jenny, that she'll surprise you. I've got a, like feelings she'll be busted out like, oh yeah, I was a half orc ranger. Or it's <laughs> <coughs> like. It is amazing sometimes when you meet celebs and you hit them with a question that they weren't expecting. Because uh, I one time met Frankie Boyle, the comedian, at a book signing. Oh, His nice. new book was out. And I love Frankie, right? So I went to the book signing. There, was, there wasn't that many people there. There was maybe about 25 people there. And I was like like sixth or something in line. And everybody was up and getting a fucking... Getting an autograph and like, oh, you know, thanks. For, I like I love Tramadol Nights or whatever. And he was like, oh, great. Uh... And uh, and like oh you know you fuck this on and all that and he's like yeah 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 and I got up to him and I went listen in your earlier book you mentioned like a lot of comics like the Invisibles I said thank you very much for like turning me on to them they were incredible and immediately like his eyes lit up and he went oh have you read this by this guy and I went no and he went oh fuck he says oh somebody and he turned into one of the people there and he went can you go and get me like a bit of paper so he went and got him a, like a bit of till roll and he wrote down right you need to read this and then you need to read this and then you need to read this and then this is also good if you like that one and this da 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 I still have that bit of paper there's, there's <laughs> some spectacular uh, there's a there's a book that I think everyone should read um, it's called Sleeper by Peter someone or other uh, and basically it's set in the Wildstorm universe which is used to be adjacent to the DC universe it's like the hardcore DC universe yeah but the point of Sleeper is that he is part of a superhero team and he has to infiltrate like the the version of a, the Illuminati so he has to become a sleeper agent by like making out that he has turned bad with a CIA handler who then inserts him into this sleeper cell, essentially, of villains who are going to do something horrible. And then the handler dies. Oh, right. And he meets... <laughs> it's really, really good because he goes to the Illuminati and the Illuminati are really impressed by them. So one of the Illuminati takes him aside and says, listen, you've really impressed us. Are you ready to meet the people who are actually in charge? rather than the people that we <laughs> present the conspiracy theorists to be as being in charge. It's a it's a fantastic book. Grim, but really, really good. I think it's Peter Peter David I think name rings a bell. I think it was Peter David. Anyway, it's called Sleeper. Get it out. It's brilliant. See, that's see, I've not got I've the best I've got in terms of like celebrity, I managed to get a laugh out of Stephen Fry at a book signing. Um which was um, it was um, it was when he was doing Stephen Fry in in America. I got the book that was like the companion piece to the series, um, and I was at the signing and I go around. And all I all I said to him was, "So this is a, uh, a show that you've done for the BBC. When is it going to be broadcast?" And he was like, "Oh, it, it airs in like a week's time." I go, "Okay, and when will it be on, Dave?" Uh, and that got a giggle, and that's that's the best. But I I know I apparently this is a bit of advice. If ever you meet a celebrity, if you can ask them about something weird they will want to talk to you much more than they will 
Because apparently, like, so if you talk to, like, Brett the Hitman Hart, if you ever meet him and you try and talk to him about anything to do with wrestling, he is a miserable cunt. But if you ask him what it was like to be on The Simpsons that time, yeah. he lights the fuck up. <laughs> Counterpoint to that. I once met the comedian Rich Fulcher from The Mighty Bush and asked him what it was like to be in Wayne's World 2. <laughs> and he just, he, just gave, he just gave me a look that I read as, oh, so you're a cunt that trolls through the trivia section of fucking IMDb. Because in Wayne's World <laughs> 2, there's a there's a bit where uh, I think I think the joke is oh the budget's really high so we can go to whatever locations that we want. So you see the back of Wayne and Garth as they're like we can go to Greece and then the green screen just changes to Greece or we can go to Rome and here's the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but that's not Mike Myers and uh, is it Dana Carvey? Is that yeah Dana yeah. Carvey and, and Mike Myers? That's Rich Fulcher and some other bloke, but uh, Rich Fulcher is being the back of Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna say that Mike Myers let success go to the to go to his head but when you realize look at the script uh oh man that's not my face on screen get someone else yeah <laughs> speaking of our um our usual section stories that we heard about jk rowling that really should have made us realize all this sooner <laughs> so stephen fry uh, does the uh, the British version of the Harry Potter audiobooks. In America, it's Jim Dale, who's also who's another English guy, uh, who I arguably think is better. But uh, Stephen Fry done the voice, the audiobooks for the first three books, and when he got to The Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the latest book in the series, he realised that there's a bit where Harry says, uh, or the, the text says, Harry pocketed his wand, which is a fancy mm-hmm. way of saying Harry put his wand in his pocket. And Stephen Fry has a very particular speech impediment where he can't say certain consonant sounds after each other, so he can't say pocketed without stumbling. So he says pocketed, right? Which is pretty common. Uh, he then called up J.K. Rowling to ask her if he could change this. And from what I understand, J.K. Rowling remembered a time that she met Stephen Fry at a party and said to him, Hi, I'm Joanne Rowling. I write the Harry Potter books. And Stephen Fry, which at this time may not have been very popular, and Stephen Fry responded something like, Oh, very good for you. And kind of, and that was kind of the interaction. So she took this to heart. And after The Prisoner of Azkaban, there is at least one example of the word pocketed in every single following <laughs> book. Oh. Fucking spiteful cunt. Yeah. And you know what? As if... You can sue me if you want over that, because uh, that's an opinion. Yeah, yeah. It is my opinion that you are a transphobic cunt, J.K. Yeah. Rowling, based on, and that's based on a significant amount of evidence. Um, <laughs> I would happily, happily argue in court. Anyway. <laughs> How many listeners does this podcast have now? About 25? This will be yeah. the time that we say shit about a celebrity that they'll actually go through with it. <laughs> Yeah, this is the one that everyone's going to share. They go, oh, it's gotten really good. You should listen to this. Anyway, you should listen to this, my friend who works at Random House. <laughs> oh, if you if you manage to get to if you manage to get cancelled twice, Mark, before yeah. really having a career, <laughs> it's a speed run. I'm trying to speed run. <laughs> I'm going to run for first minister of Scotland as well. 
and just uh, just let them know all my views. Oh, Christ. right on day one. It's uh, uh, the the. I would just want to say it when. Okay, there's been a lot of articles that have said things along the lines of, "Oh, should someone's religious beliefs stop them from doing a job?" And I go, "Well, okay, if my belief was that." All ch- uh, my belief is that I'm not I'm not pro-abortion. I believe that children should all children should be born, and then after they're two weeks old, they should be drowned, right? Right? That view, you would have a problem with me being considered as head of midwifery at a hospital, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, if you're against gay marriage, maybe you shouldn't have the job where you get to decide that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure the <laughs> argument about me when I started running would be something like. Well, there aren't any Amish people in Scotland, but this guy seems to feel really strongly uh, <laughs> that he dislikes the Amish because they seem to be—they they, just—they they just have a sense of smug superiority about them, and I don't—and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, we've been, and to be fair, we've been very clear on this podcast that we don't like the Amish, um, and you can tell them if you want, but then really, you're the arsehole, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> you've met an Amish person, you go, oh, you know what would ruin their day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you'll have to explain what a podcast is. It's not worth yeah. it. Don't, don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> There's a magic talkie box. Yeah. <laughs> well, you say that. I, I wish people know what all this shit is. They've just gone, Which can't be bothered. On the one hand, I, I, sometimes I do have to give the Amish credit. I wish, I wish that I couldn't be bothered with podcasts anymore. Not this one. <laughs> I just feel like it just takes up a lot of my time. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening to like free classic like wrestling watching like like podcasts, and they're like, what? so sometimes I'll have to watch like five old pay per views in like a two week period just to be caught up on my podcasts, <laughs> and that's always a good because I can't put them on. It's one thing to watch modern wrestling. My girlfriend's kind of okay with me having that on and watching it, but when I'm putting on shit wrestling from the eighties, and she's like, "What's this?" and you're like, "This is." This is such a oh, is this a good show? No, this is a historically bad show. But there's two things on it that are interesting, so I'm going to watch it all of it for two fucking hours. Uh. <laughs> Ooh, I've just I want the memory alpha. Yeah, uh, I've just found something really interesting. The plot point of Worf letting Patak die, the, the Romulan, by refusing blood met great resistance among some of the writing staff and Michael Don. Oh, Don commented. I called the producers and said I didn't agree. I thought giving blood was the honourable thing to do. I thought people would look at Worf as a murderer. The producers felt that Worf was getting to be too human, just a guy with a big head. When the opportunity came for them to show that Worf was not human, that he is not bound by the same morals as they are, as we are, they felt it was a wonderful opportunity. In hindsight, however, he did see the wisdom of the decision, remarking how it revealed the different types of the different sides of Worf. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree. Let's be honest, right? Okay. The Klingon concept of honour is weird and strange and complicated and not at all helped by the fact that they have invisible ships that they could spring out of nowhere before anybody sees them and shoot you to death, right? That's... Yeah. I feel like like they shouldn't have given the Klingons... They wanted to do, like, submarine stuff. So I get why the Klingons have invisible ships. And I, I get what, but but the, it's uh, the Romulans. The Romulans should be the invisible ones. The 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 Klingons should have had something else. Like, oh, we don't have shields. Yeah. 
We just have massive battering ram ships that we just fly through things with. So weird like that. I also but, like yeah. I also like this take from LeVar Button. According to LeVar Button, this episode was Star Trek's homage to the 1958 film The Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier, rather than being its homage to the film Enemy Mine, which is what it was. <laughs> Although I don't know Enemy if any, Mine... I think Enemy Mine might have come out after this. No, uh, no, I'm pretty certain Enemy Mine is mid-80s. Um, let me just check. Oh, 1985. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. Fuck us. Yeah, so... Like, it's entirely possible that some of the writers of Enemy Mine ended up working on Star Trek, so... Um, like, maybe... They, I'm assuming this was just somebody who went, oh, nobody, nobody fucking saw that movie. Uh, let's, uh, let's reuse it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it. See what happens. Yeah, recycle stuff. But no, I like, um, I really, I, I, the thing with Wolf not giving blood, I really like that we don't get a, like, Star Trek-y, oh, Wolf goes on a moral journey and learns that it's the right thing to do. He's like, no. Because, like, I'm, like, like, I, hmm, this is where it gets, it's weird to try and talk about in human terms because you have to start, men. It, 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 this, this is a very easy a conversation that if you were trying to like p- patch in the human like equivalents, this could very easily spiral into racism. So I'm going to be careful about how I word this. Um, I want to be specific when I'm not saying I'm not okay. If you're if you were let's say Pete Davidson and somebody needed your blood to save a member of fucking Al Qaeda. Right, you wouldn't do it, and it is important that within the realm of, of Star Trek, the the Romulans are all very passionately supportive members of the Romulan regime. They don't of really Al-Qaeda. have, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. The the attack on Kitamar was very much the nine eleven of Star Trek. Right, <laughs> um, everybody remembers where they were the day Worf saw his parents get killed. Um, um, which is most of the Romulans were just at home watching it on a big screen, popcorn, laughing. Um, so oh, a second disruptor bolt has hit the parents. <laughs> <laughs> Wolf's mother has been hit by a disruptor bolt. We believe this might have been an. Oh no! A second disruptor bolt has hit the second parent. <laughs> disruptor bolts can't melt bones. That's the. That's what they scream. <laughs> Yeah, but it, so it's important like, in Star Trek to like, specifically say like, it's not as if there are Romulan factions. It's not like this is somebody who's like a Romulan but had nothing to do with Worf's parents being murdered. This is a member of the Romulan like Space Force or whatever yeah. they're called who is specifically a, representat- a representative of the same group who did that, which it, it, admittedly is the group all Romulans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Because I need to go very quickly. Promotions, uh, big one straight to Commander Riker, because when him, Worf, and Jordy get to the planet and Jordy gets lost, Worf says, "Shall we find Jordy?" And Riker goes, "Now nah, leave it." <laughs> so big old, big old promotion. Yeah, big old promotion to, to to Wesley for apparently being the only person smart enough to work out how to get Jordy back. Yep, big fat demotion um, to the rest of engineering. Yep, should have fucking known what to do. Promotion to uh, O'Brien's hairdresser. 
Looked good. Looked real good. Yeah. We're going to get to that. Believe it or not, I'm about to say something that seems mental. In this in this series of us doing this podcast, we are going to get we are going to get to the hairdresser on the Enterprise, <laughs> and it is going to be a point of discussion that I've been waiting to have for a very long time. I can't wait for that to be the full episode. Because it, it brings up a... It, it, it is a doorway to a conversation topic that I have been longing... I've been waiting to discuss. Um, and I can't do it until we get to him. Right? Excellent. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a great... It's, a, it's he's, in it for, he's in it for 10 seconds and it raises so many fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was a perfect bit of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it's a great bit of Star Trek. It's it, we might not have talked about it much, but there's not. It's the problem is it's a classic science fiction uh, or storytelling trope. Um, so there's not a lot to say. Um, should you be able to put you and your differences aside with your enemy and work together to to save your own life? Yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In in most all cases, yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Easy Unless life. like. You're going to save the life of a person who's like planning on killing everyone, right? Yeah. Then, then don't. Don't, don't but, bother. Leave yeah. It. yeah. But your visor yeah. will tell you when that's the case. Yeah. It'll just come up with a little thing that says, like a little label just says Kang. Yeah. Uh, and then don't do it. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that was yeah. the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. See you, uh-huh. uh, see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>